0: I'm to start by asking you a simple question. A simple question is this. <clears throat> when you think about your life and your relationships, your family, your friends, your co-workers, the people that you're around on a daily basis, I want you to, to ask this question of yourself. How do you view your relationships? How do you view your relationships? Because I, I know, like I said, I know that you, like me, are deeply embedded in a fabric of relationships, like it or not. You're you're in a web of relationships. Family, friends, co-workers, other members of the body of Christ. So the question is, how do you view those relationships? And I don't mean, how do you want to view them? Or how do you think you should view them? Because I know a number of you all like me are like, well, this is how I should view them. So this is how I view them, right? Like guilt is real quick for us evangelical kids. <clears throat> I know that many of you are going to those kind of default responses, but I'm asking you to think under the surface to the root of this question for you right now. How do you view those relationships and how do they function in your life? Because, because here's something I know about your relationships, no matter how you view them or think you should view them uh, I know, because it's the same way for me, relationships among us are messy. Relationships are messy. They are so messy so often that we very, very seriously question whether they're worth it. We've all been there before. They are so messy so often that it's really easy to get to a place where it's like, well, this isn't even worth it for me. And that has lots of implications for how we operate with other people. Lots of implications. In fact, they get so messy so often, we begin to operate, we begin to act, sometimes without even being aware of it, in a way that ensures that what we really desire underneath it all will be the way, will be the way we treat our relationships and how we function in them and how we twist them and how we pervert them for the needs that are under the surface in our lives, so so the question may be: How do your relationships function in your life? As as fundamental, perhaps, to who you are. In, in a sense, we hope so. We'll talk about that today. Maybe your relationships function as annoyances on the road to your goals. As opportunities, maybe to help you achieve your goals. Do you view them as a means? To the end of your personal happiness? Lots of people do. Are the people in your life there in your mind functionally to bring you happiness and to help you to sort of function as assistants, as helpers in achieving your goals? Maybe the people in your life function like that, as ways to get your needs met. This is important to think about. Because we live in a world where our sin creates mess, it creates pain creates hurt not just our sin but others sin toward us isn't it funny how isn't it funny how the assumption about the sin and the pain of relationship is always others at us I mean like how is that logically possible for every person on the planet every problem in every mess in my life is always somebody else's sin directed at me that's all the mess of my relationships right I mean all these people would just get right with God how we think and operate and act and feel sometimes, isn't it? Now, I want to, just before we get into where we're headed for a second, here, I want to say when we talk about mess, we talk about the messiness of relationships, we are not talking in this series about Truly abusive, dangerous, unhealthy things that should be avoided. God made us with nerves, so when we touch something that hurts, we pull away. He, get, he made us that way for a reason, for a purpose. And we are to be a people who stand up for the kind of justice that protects people from that kind of abusive danger. And so if, if that's what you've been in, if that's what you're experiencing, we're not saying, stick with that, stick with abuse. That's not what we're saying in this. In fact, we should be people who protect one another from that kind of abuse who stand up to injustice like that and create a create an environment of safety so that doesn't happen when we talk about mess in our relationships in this series we're talking about the everyday boring regular old hard stuff of our relationships the normal mess of relationships. And we all know what this looks like. We know how, how we respond to this. Maybe we, for example, we limit our participation in the body of Christ because of the mess, you know. <laughs> because, because we don't want to be held accountable, maybe, to a community of believers. Or we've experienced that mess before. And I don't want to go through that again. I know how that feels, believe me. Or maybe it's too scary to trust others, so we limit our participation or the 20 other reasons that affect our participation in the body that, that you and I may not even be aware of. Maybe you decide to, to squash your feelings, to keep them inside, refusing to be honest. Because you know full well that being honest means having to be cleaned up. That, that creates its own mess. It doesn't seem worth cleaning up the mess when you're honest with people. Maybe that's where you are with your response to the mess of relationships. Maybe, and I know that this is the case for, for me, maybe you avoid the family member or the coworker, or the somebody that you're around with whom you have some sharp disagreement. Maybe you avoid that because the mess isn't worth it. I've heard people even say this kind of thing. We don't get along, so it's just better if we avoid one another. <laughs> really? Is, is that better? <laughs> what we're going to propose in this series is that is not better, that is worse. And there are a number of reasons why. We typically isolate ourselves because of the messiness of relationship. On the other hand, there are some who do the opposite of isolate. They sometimes totally immerse themselves in unhealthy relationships. Instead of isolating, they're, they're enmeshed in relationships in a way that expects other people to function as their personal messiahs. The healthy, healthy truth that we're going for here is somewhere in the middle between isolation and immersion. And immersion. This is the healthy middle that recognizes the main truth in the scriptures that we're going to look at today. It's today's big idea. It's listed in the bulletin there and in the the study guide. And, And it's an easy truth to understand. This isn't rocket science today. It isn't rocket science. It's easy to understand. But the implications of the truth we're looking at today have tentacles all over the place in our relationships The big idea is simply that God designed us from the very beginning, from the first pages of Scripture, He designed us for relationship. His design for who you are, why you exist, in the first place, fundamentally is relationship. Stated another way, you and I are relational because God is relational. Let's look at Genesis 1. And learn about these truths today. Genesis 1 verses 26 through 8. This truth that we are relational because God is relational. And this isn't going to be hard to understand. But It's going to be hard to deal with the reality of what this means for us. Because I, I know that even as I say, God made you to be a relational being. Every one of you is going, okay, yeah, I, duh. <laughs> Tell me something I don't know, preacher man. I mean, that's easy, right? Yeah, even as I say that, I know you all intellectually agree with me because it's not hard to understand. It's not hard to agree with. God made us as relational beings, but the ways in which we live as if this isn't who He made us to be are far-reaching, far, far far-reaching. This is why we're going to start slowly and let it simmer. Because despite the self-centered idol of independence that we have ingrained into us. We are, in fact, raised, made to be interdependent in the first place. And so when we raise our fists against God's purposes for our lives and we say, I can do this myself, I am independent, I do not need relationship, I am not going to be a social being, I will not stick with the mess. You know what that is? That's not just rebellion against one another horizontally. That is ultimately, and most importantly, rebellion against the truth that God made you in His image as a relational being. So to, to keep your hands up to the mess is to bypass His built-in process for growth. Let's look at Genesis 1, 26 through eight. Genesis 1, 26-28. Let me just go ahead and read the whole thing and we'll take a few minutes to look through it. It says, God blessed them I'm sorry, 26, not 28. Starting at 26. Then God said, this is the apex, this is the the climax of creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. In the parallel statement, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Look at the relational cues that are all over this text. First verse says, then God said, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So you read this this first thing and you think, okay, God, a being, God, we don't yet, at this point in Genesis, we don't yet, in this point in Scripture, know everything about the Trinity. So we're going to talk around this idea of the Trinity. It's three in one. It's one essence, three persons. We're not going to talk about what all that means and how that came to be because it progresses throughout all of Scripture. But it's introduced here, even earlier than this, in the text of Genesis 1. It's introduced here as this being, God said. When you read that and you think there's a being. One being. And then it says this. Let us... Hold on. One being is an us. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. From the, from the get-go of Genesis, there is relationship going on with God. Within God. Relationship. So think about this because this is crazy. This, this God who is one being is also somehow a plurality. From the first verse, there's this relational aspect of God coming through. This relationship between what we later call Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This relationship of God's plurality within Himself being revealed. And look at when He's revealing it. He's revealing it at the beginning of Scripture, right before, immediately before the text tells us that He is creating something. There's a reason why that comes right Now, because that which he is creating after his likeness in his image is going to to mirror, it's going to have that same relational dimension. It says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This single yet plural God is creating creating a man. And there the word man is a singular noun. But get this, in the next verse, we learn that this singular man is also a them. What? What? Follow this in the text. It says, then God, singular, said, let us, plural, make man singular in our plural image after our plural likeness. And then it says, and let them, now the singular man is a plural somehow, have dominion. This is the crazy part. The Bible is amazingly filled with this kind of cool stuff if you'll study it. There is relationship all over these verses, from the very beginning, this single yet plural God is making a man who, in the next verse, is a them, which means that the, the relationship that exists within this singular yet plural God is being embedded into this man who is also a them now it 's Adam and Adam and eve i 'm not saying one Adam is. To people. I'm saying that God is embedding in himself as he creates his own relational dimension into Adam and Eve. And we know it's both of them because it says, let them. Let them. Now, this isn't because God can't count. This isn't a math problem. It's because God is revealing something critical about Himself and that critical thing is being made known, it's being manifest in His own children, His own progeny, His, his creation. It says God's making man after our likeness, meaning that man is is somehow in his essence like God, not perfectly in character and nature like God, but somehow reflecting God's character and nature. There's something about the essence of who you and I are that reflects who God already was and is and how he was creating them. And it says this, Let them... This is part of how we know man isn't just one man. This is one of the few places where man means humanity. Let them have dominion. Now now, now think about this. Dominion, stewardship, doesn't work unless it's in relationship with something over which you're stewarding or about which you're taking care. So the relationship that God has embedded in man is also working itself out in how man will do what man is called to do. Let them have dominion. Stewardship even replies, it implies this relationship extending to the world around them. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the livestock over all the earth. And it says this, verse 27. So God created man in his own image as a relational being. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So relationship, plurality, in this relationship with Adam and Eve, also reflects relationship with God. And then it says, and God blessed, not just Adam, it says God blessed them. God blessed them. This relational dimension that comes from the Creator that's embedded in the people. He blessed them and said to them, in other words, both of them are receiving this first command, this first command that because they're blessed they are to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. In verse 28, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thre- thing that moves on the earth. So, so this God this is the crazy thing about who we are. <clears throat> this God, who is a perfect relationship, father, son, Holy Spirit, created humanity, created you, created me, created us out of His own us-ness and ourness, as it says in the text. Here it is at an even deeper level. <clears throat> God didn't just make us as relational beings. He made us relational beings because He is Himself a relational being. Now think about that. He made us to be interdependent and connected fundamentally as who we are, not just because He wanted us to be that way, but because He Himself is that way. So when He calls us to reflect Him, to deny the truth that you are are an interdependently related being with other humans and with God to deny that truth is not to deny our relationship as much as it is to deny what God said who you are to live as if to live as if you are even able and should be avoiding the mess of relationships in which God placed you is to stand and hold your fist up to God and say I will not live in a world that works like you made it. That's how serious this really is. (laughs) You know, you feel, you are well aware of the practical implications of living life as if relationship doesn't matter. The really cool part about this is that you were, we are created out of the perfect overflow of relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You were created as a being to reflect Him out of the overflow of that perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a really cool thing I want to show you in Genesis 2 that points out that this isn't just us being made in his image as a relational being. In other words, this isn't just this isn't just Jesus and me because I think I think really a lot of us would rather do life just Jesus and me. Okay? We try, we try to deny the reality that we are relational beings made in His image by doing Jesus and me Christian life. Which is, I don't, I don't really want to be in a relationship with you personally enough, closely enough, so that you can affect me. I, I want to keep you way out there so that I don't have to deal with the built-in process for growth that God gave us called the body of Christ. And there's a truth in Genesis 2 that tells us that not only are we relational beings, we are we're social beings. And to deny the truth of that is not just to, to hold your fist up to God. I mean, that, that, that's sin. It's, it's, to, it's to be less human than He created you to be. Look at this in Genesis 2. This is super cool. He says something very important about community. We're going to read all of 18 through 24, just so you can see everything going on here. We're going to make just one basic point about verse 18. <coughs> this is cool stuff. Genesis two eighteen to 24. We'll come back to this passage later on in the series. It says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And wherever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, the birds of the heaven, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God called a deep sleep, caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place of flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he had made into a woman and brought it to, her, to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I want you to see one thing in verse 18. It says, It is not good that the man should be alone. He had just made creation and, and continued to say it's good, it's good, it's good. He got to the creation and at the end said this is very good. And then, and then here it says this, this, however, this is not good. It is not good that the man should be alone. I want you to hear carefully what I'm about to say because I think this is a passage that is often misunderstood and it's often misinterpreted. <clears throat> there is no indication in the text or in the surrounding context that Adam was just sulking around the garden, sad because he was so lonely. There's no indication that that God comes along and makes woman just because Adam's lonely. I mean, think about it. He's, He's in perfect relationship with God. Why would he be lonely? He's not lonely. This is not a statement about his emotional state this is a statement about God's original intent in the first place. There's no indication that God created Eve because Adam was sad or lonely. When God said, it's not good for man to live alone, to be alone, he was not somehow making a new observation like, you know what? I forgot something. What God is doing here is he is verbalizing his original intent. His original intent was that Adam would be in relationship so that be fruitful and multiply is possible. The intent from the beginning of God making us is so that you and I can become men and women who fruitfully make the goodness of God known in our lives. That's the goal. From that, witness will happen. From that, evangelism will happen. From that, a winsome witness to a world that needs to know relationship with God will happen. Be fruitful and multiply does not happen in a vacuum. That's a lie that a lot of us like to believe about our own Christian life. My fruitfulness can happen in a vacuum. To say that is to live contrary to God's design in the first place. I know that, <coughs> I know that as I say these kinds of things about relational messes, <coughs> that for each one of us it's going to bring up Hard stuff. Painful things. Examples of having been hurt. Examples of having hurt someone else. I'm aware that at the beginning of the series, as we're going to talk through this whole series, I'll be talking about covenanting with one another. Sticking with the process. Holding on to others while pain absorption has to happen by you. Being a part of a relationship that's going to have some conflict in it. Anybody ever been married? What number one place have you had conflict? Am I preaching yet? Holding on to the process. Sticking with the built-in growth process. This is why we're calling this relationships. Because the built-in process for your growth that God has for you is the relationship's That exist in your life. That's how God made this to work. Your sanctification. Your growth in Christ. Becoming the man or the woman. That God created you to be. As fruitfully demonstrating his likeness. Depends on leaning into this truth. Even when it's not fun. Especially. When it's not. It's why the body of Christ is truly the only thing going for the work of God to continue to make us into who He created us to be. It is God's built-in growth process for getting back to perfect relationship with God. In this series, I want you to pray with me That even though this is going to bring up stuff, it's going to perhaps create conflict. It's going to mean I'm calling you, the Lord is calling you to have hard conversations you don't want to have. To to continue to go to places that are uncomfortable for you. Because that's, that's how this is supposed to work. And to deny that that's how it's supposed to work is to deny how God made you as a human being. So let's, let's covenant, let's, let's pray together to lean into the truth, to let it simmer that God made you this way for a good reason. Let's pray together.